Well, good morning. It has uh, clearly been a very interesting and eventful morning, as you can see. Uh, Pastor Corey has been running around today, uh, filling in, doing sound, among many other things. And so I'm thankful for, for him and his willingness to, to do that very thing. Uh, we've clearly had some microphone issues. Mike's going in and out. And so uh, if that happens, fret not, we will be okay. We will get through our text today. Um, if you've been with us uh, over the past few weeks, you know that we are clearly walking in the epistles of John. We are uh, right now in First John, finding ourselves in chapter 2 still. We're going to begin in verse 18. This is still our series called Abiding Light, where already in our series we have seen John uh, really making some stark contrast between those who walk with Christ and those who are living in a false faith. Now, Last week, we saw John really take what can be best described as a a parenthetical pause, if you will, in order to speak directly to authentic believers for the purpose of encouraging them and warning them about the ways of the world. And so as we come to our text today, John is now going to turn his attention to our opponents or those who can really be called an enemy of God. And so I think it's no wonder we've had some of the the technical issues that we've had today. Either way, through our passage, John is going to tell us that as believers in Christ, we now need to know our opponent. Now, when I think about that particular phrase and and what John is giving to us, I immediately uh, turn to sports and I immediately turn to football. And I know a lot of you guys probably get uh, tired of me making these illustrations and analogies, but man, I got to tell you, the one thing I appreciate about that sport is the things that you don't often see on the television. You know, oftentimes, if you're a college football fan, you watch games on Saturdays. If you're a if you're a football fan, an NFL fan, you watch. Uh, on Sundays, I'm, I have got to say I am I am blown away by the amount of Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans that have now come out of the woodwork after this last year. And I, yes, I still get your emails. Yes, I still realize uh, you won a Super Bowl. Yes, I see the banners that you take pictures by. Thank you for sending that all to me. Yes, I understand my team is horrible. That's okay. I, I get it. Okay, so thank you for that. But anyway, you know, I digress. The thing that I really enjoy about football is the things that you don't see on live television. You see, when it comes to football, there are, there are days of game planning that go into preparing for a game. As a chaplain and a coach myself, I remember there were, there were days that were spent studying our opponent, and not only would we practice our own plays, but we would focus on the game film of our opponent looking for weaknesses within their own team. And so much so that as we studied it as coaches, it got to a point where we created our own cheat sheet, if you will, of the top playmakers for the team that we were about to play. You see, as we looked in practice and as we got into the game and as we even uh, walked through game film together, we would look for mismatches. And so by the time pregame would arrive, and which is pregame is one of my favorite things that happens on a football field, but when pregame would arrive, we would watch the other team as our team would warm up looking for these playmakers and we were looking to see whether or not they were in a brace or whether or not they were wrapped, knowing that if we made a note of this, chances are that brace was going to slow them down and would probably help us as the game progressed. Now, many would ask at this point, why the effort? Why put so much work and preparation for really what was going to be over in a matter of hours? Well, you see, the reality is when we get on that field, we want to win. And in order to win, you need to have a plan. But in order to plan, you needed to know your opponent. 
You needed to know your opponent so well that you knew them better than they knew themselves. And so the same is true of our text today in John's writing. You see, John is now hitting a point where he teaches that there are those who are here, and they are here today, and and he says that there are more to come who will actively oppose Jesus Christ. There are those who are here today, and there are more to come, according to John, who will actively oppose the good news of the gospel itself. And so as believers, we must be able to not only recognize them, but we have to be willing to resist them and then cling to the truth of God that has been revealed to us according to his word. So as we get into our text, let's examine what John means when he calls believers to know your opponent. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you now to join me in 1 John chapter 2. We are going to begin reading in verse 18. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. John writes, children, It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointed teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in this place and to be in your word. Father, I pray that over these next few moments, that as we seek to understand your truth, as we seek to understand your word, Father, as your word speaks to us, whether it's a word of affirmation, a word of encouragement, whether whether your word pierces us to the soul this morning, Father, we pray that in it and through it that you alone would be glorified. So as we just sung, Lord, you speak today. Father, prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. And through your word, may you be glorified. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've already had to worship you today. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word spoken, the opportunity to sing your word. And God, we pray now in these next few moments that by your word, that you would continue to speak, that you would continue to be lifted up and praised. 
Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for delighting in us. Thank you for calling us your own. And we pray in these next few moments now that you would be glorified. Father, we love you. We praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I do want you to pay careful attention this morning to the title of the sermon today called Know Your Opponent, because yes, I do want to point out to you this morning that I am being very careful in my word choice this morning. You see, choosing the word opponent uh, over the word enemy uh, brings about two different connotations that I want to speak to for a moment. You see, the word enemy brings the thought of war. It brings the thought of annihilation or even obliteration, if you will. And I want us to realize today that when John is, is speaking of our enemy, he's not just speaking of an enemy that needs to be obliterated or annihilated, like removing an entire people group. Rather, he's he's speaking of an opponent. He's speaking of these, these people that he calls Antichrist. And the reality is the word Antichrist that John is using in this passage is not talking about these little minions, if you will. He's not talking about these little demons that kind of wear dark cloaks that walk around and, and do Satan's bidding. Rather, what he is talking about is real people who, for whatever reason, are now working against Jesus Christ. And so as a Christian who believes in grace, as a Christian who has a hope for eternity and what is to come, we have to realize today that God can save anyone, anywhere, at any time. And so as believers, we have to hold out hope that these enemies of God, these opponents of Christ, can be won over for the glory of God. Now, many would say at this point, Pastor, how can you even say those words? Well, if you remember a week ago, we talked about how we ourselves, as believers in Christ, went from being enemies of God to now adopted into the family of God. Now, as we look at our text, clearly John is concerned about doing some spiritual clock watching. You see, time, as he is measuring it, is being measured as God now measures it. And so John takes the approach that we are now living in what can best be described as the two-minute warning. We are now living in what can be best described as the last drive of the game. In fact, he says this in verse 18 uh, twice when he says, it is the last hour. You see, John at this point recognizes that time is running out, and so he calls believers to live with a sense of urgency. Now again, John is going to use this word antichrist, and we're going to talk about this more, but this word upon hearing it for most believers today, it strikes almost a sense of wonder, if you will, or even a sense of fear within our hearts. Oftentimes, like I said earlier, we think about these little minion type evil people, but the reality is this is not the people that John is speaking of. So as we look at our text today, it's extremely important for us to have a biblical view of who these antichrists are and what it is that they do. And so I want to go ahead and caution you up front that today we're going to get into a very heavy subject, and this subject may cause us heartache as we realize not only is John talking about people, but he very well is talking about people that we know well and that we love. And so John is going to give us three lessons to equip us to recognize and also to defeat the enemies or the opponents of Christ. Now, why would this be so important for John? Because the reality is spiritual conflict, as we now see and know in our modern times, 
is inevitable. It's inevitable. And so today we are called to know our opponents. And so lesson number one that John gives us today is that opponents of Jesus Christ will attack Jesus Christ. We see this in verses 18 and again in verse 22. So as we begin, let's again understand that John in his writing is not looking for a fight. However, we can also know that John would not run from a fight when those he loved and those he cared for in the church were now in danger. And so John opens the passage with a word that's all too familiar to the believers. He uses the word children. Now again, this isn't like the way John used this word last week where he was using it to mean new believers. Rather, John is now using this word again as a term of endearment or a term of affection for the believers. You see, John is again establishing his love for the body of believers. He's establishing his love for his brothers and sisters in Christ who are a part of the local church. At the same time, we can now know that John also uses the word children in order to introduce us to new subjects. And so in our text today, this new subject for John is the last hour and that many antichrists have come. Now again, let's focus on the word antichrist for a moment. This word literally means against Christ or in place of Christ. So what John is doing is he's pointing us to the fact that these were people who were considered to be enemies of Jesus Christ. In fact, John is going to use this term four times throughout his epistle. Now, the reality is the word antichrist is not a common word in the Bible, but it is used by other writers in the Bible. We see Paul use it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and again we see the word appear in the prophecies of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Now, coming back to our text here in uh, verse 18, John bookends this verse with the phrase, it is the last hour. Now, many people at this point have wondered what John meant, seeing as how he wrote these words almost 2,000 years ago. Many of us wonder, was John acting like a parent at this moment, looking at his children and telling them, hey, you got five minutes and then we're leaving, and then five minutes turns to 15 or 20? What exactly was John talking about here? Well, for John, he's talking about the entire period between the first coming of Jesus Christ and what we await in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the reality is this teaching, this this period between the first and second coming of Christ, this last hour that John is speaking of is clearly consistent with the New Testament as well, especially when we read passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, which says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Again, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Peter would even get in on this whole last hour conversation with 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 when he says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. So John, in following the pattern of the New Testament, is now communicating a sense of both imminence and a sense of urgency for us to live in during this present age. And so John now teaches that we now live in a time where many antichrists, notice the word is plural, these antichrists will increasingly come as the time draws to an end. 
Now again, you only have to go back to Matthew chapter 24 and you see Jesus warns the disciples and he warns us today of the very same thing. And so here's the truth that we can learn from this verse. As the gospel spreads, so will false teaching. You see, as Christian missionaries go out into the world, so too will these false teachers or these antichrists will go out into the world. You see, we are now engaged in a worldwide conflict for the souls of mankind. And so when you go from verse, 20, uh, verse 18 and you skip down to verse 22, we now see John tell us what these antichrists are like. He says that they are liars and they deny that Jesus is the Christ. So not only do they deny that Jesus is the Messiah, but they also try to deceive those around them because of who Christ is. In other words, these antichrists attempt to redefine who Jesus is. Doesn't this sound familiar to what's happening today in our world? Doesn't this sound familiar to what's happening in many of the churches around us? There are many who call themselves believers in Christ, and they make statements like this. Jesus is good, but he is not God. They also say things like, Jesus may have died on a cross, but he did not die as the Savior. You see, these antichrists, if you will, these, these false teachers, as they attack Jesus, they are attempting to diminish the person and the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. They are trying to confuse who Christ is and what Christ has done for his people. And so our truth for today is this. The center of Christianity is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If we get it wrong here, then we are going to get it wrong everywhere else. Maybe I need to put this in more layman terms for you today. We gather for worship because of Jesus Christ. There is no other reason for us to be here today. If our worship services are no longer focused on the word, if our worship services are no longer focused on God being glorified and the name of Jesus being spoken and glorified repeatedly, if you will, if necessary, then why do we gather for worship? Maybe the better question is, who are we gathered to worship? Is it God or is it ourselves? You see, there's a word of warning that we get from John here this morning. We need to be careful of anyone who would attempt to lead us down a road filled with spiritual error and theological dead ends. We need to make sure that when we sit under teaching, that we are not just simply sitting under a feel-good gospel, that we are not sitting under some sort of teaching that tells us we serve a feel good God, that when things get bad, you pull him off the shelf, you say a prayer, he fixes it, and then you put him back up saying, God, I'm good because I'm thankful for you, and ultimately I'm a good person, I can do the rest of it myself. You see, when it comes to the word of God, better yet, when it comes to the teaching of the word of God, 
If we sit under teaching, whether it's in service, whether it's on Sunday evenings, whether it's in our GCs, whether it's uh, videos that we're watching, whether it's professors that we listen to or people that we like, this teaching should be based upon the word of God, which should always center on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is going to now lead John to his second lesson for the believers. He says that these opponents of Jesus Christ will not only attack Christ, but he says that they will now abandon the church. Now, I really want you to hone in on this one. Because to, this is, to me personally, this is the biggest problem that plagues our churches today. We see this in verse 19 and again in verses 22 through 23. Notice what John says here. Notice he says that the church is not going to be brought down by the politics of a nation. Notice John doesn't say that the church is going to be attacked by a pandemic. Notice John doesn't say here that the church is going to be brought down because local community leaders decided it needed to come down. Notice that John doesn't even say that the attack or the greatest threats that we'll experience are going to come from outside of the church. No, in these passages, John tells us the greatest threats to the church will always come from within the church. You see, these antichrists for John are the ones who are already in the church. These are people who seek to do serious damage to the body. They want to create divisiveness and be divisive in their spirit and divisive in their conversation, so much so that it leads to a war being fought within the church doors, and then it ultimately leads to a battle where the church is then split in two. And then what happens is these antichrists not only abandon the church, but they then leave the war-torn battlefield with whatever captives they can take with them. Yo, I want to say something to you this morning. There are going to be people in our midst who are going to leave this church and their departure is going to be painful to us. But I want you to hear John's words today when he says that their departure will be painful, but it is going to be essential for the health of the church as it moves forward. Now, again, I want you to hear this. We're not just talking about little people wearing cloaks and beating down walls. We're talking about people who have been in our churches for years, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And John is saying, that's where our greatest threat lies for the people who abandon the church and then on their way out the doors, they do everything they can to wreck the church. You see, Alistair Begg, a phenomenal pastor, says it this way. He says, there are some who share for a while our earthly company who do not share our heavenly birth. Now, again, I want to be careful here. I want to tell you there are reasons to leave a church. They really are. If you're a part of a church that is no longer preaching the word of God, that may be a good reason to question your leadership and leave. Maybe you've been a part of a church that not only has abandoned the word of God, but they've abandoned the teachings of Jesus Christ, and now they have turned to the teachings of what modern-day America believes that Christians in the church ought to believe. Well, if it's not based on the word of God, again, that is reason to leave. But here comes the problem for John. Leaving 
for reasons that are not biblical, especially leaving for leaving a church that is being biblical and you're leaving for reasons that are not biblical, leaving with no conversation with elders and with the leadership. John says this is a clear and certain sign that these people were never really part of the church in the first place. You don't believe me? Look at verse 19. Verse 19, what I believe is the strongest verse that John gives us in our text. He distinguishes between the they and the us. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. You see, John is here noting that defection from biblical fellowship gives clear evidence of a defective faith. He calls them they because they didn't last. Again, these were believers in the church. These were leaders in the church. And he says of them, they were never really a part of us. And sadly, they will go somewhere else and they'll repeat the pattern and they will not last. Now again, let me give you a a word of hope here for a moment because I want to contrast this word they with the word us that John uses here. You see, this, this us team is going to remain in fellowship. This us team, if you will, is going to persevere. And as hard as this verse is for us to hear today, for those of us who are on the us team, this passage should offer some sort of wonderful affirmation that we can now call the perseverance of the saints. You see, those who remain when times get hard, those who remain when change abounds that is biblical and pushing in a direction that's leading us according to the word of God those who remain when people walk away from the church and they walk away from the word of God are those who according to Jude chapter 1 will be kept for Jesus so don't miss what John is saying here in verse 19 he's saying don't walk away when it gets hard rather stay in and work together Honestly, I'm going to go and tell you, I think this is one of the biggest things that we miss as a modern church in America. This is one of the biggest problems that has plagued so many churches in the United States. And now we're seeing it spill over into the leadership of our churches. You see, when things get hard or all of a sudden we don't like what's happening around us, then what we want to go and do is then try on something new. We almost treat the church as if we're trying on a new pair of shoes. Well, I don't like the way this fits, so I'm going to go to another one. And the question we're not asking ourselves in this moment is, why am I leaving? Why am I abandoning the church? Is it because this this church is no longer a church? They're more like a community center and they've given up on the word of God? Okay, again, you may have a good ground to stand on. But if you've got a church that is attempting to be biblical, that is singing the word of God and speaking the word of God and preaching the word of God faithfully, doesn't mean they're always going to get it right, but they are doing it faithfully, then what reason do we have to leave? You see, it makes no sense that when all of a sudden things get hard, we we treat the church like Walmart. I don't like it. There's not enough customer service. I have to scan my items myself. I'm going to go to Target. I'm done with that. Only to find out Target's just as bad. Then what? Or we treat it like Chick-fil-A. I don't like it. I mean, I get it. It's Christian chicken. It's the Baptist bird. But doggone it, that line's too long, and I know half the people in this line ain't saved because they are messing up my lunch. I'm going to go to McDonald's. 
and you find out it's no better over there. You see, I want to share something with you. If that's where you are today about the church, I want to encourage you with a word. It might do you some good to experience a different church. But I'm not talking about a different church in the United States. It might do you some good to experience a church in another culture. It might do you some good to experience a church in, a, in another country, in another language. And maybe then when we come back, we'll enjoy what it is that we have. Maybe then we'll begin to see and understand what is important to us. You know, when I read this verse, I immediately go back to multiple mission trips that I took down to Puerto Rico. And many people, when they think of Puerto Rico, they think of San Juan and they think of this beautiful city. But what they don't realize is there's this entire island there. There's beautiful cities like Calle and Juanadias and Guayama that are just full of very poor people. It almost gives you the feeling that you're living in a third world country. And in many cases, you are. And like every good Christian, every team we led down there thought they were going to be the cavalry to ride in. And I remember sitting down with our missionaries who were on the ground down there, and the conversation was the same. We knew that not only were these people going to come down by the grace of God and, and help us continue to make a kingdom impact in the places that he's called us to, but we knew at the same time these teams that were coming from our church, we knew that they were going to come down there and they were going to learn what it meant to truly worship God. You see, I can think of many Sundays on an island where I sat on a second floor building with the windows open because 80% of the time the power wasn't on. Not because they didn't pay the bills, because it was determined the power wasn't needed on that block. I watched as believers in Christ gathered in a dimly lit room, only lit by the sunlight. The only AC they had was the breeze that came in. Thank God they were close to the ocean. I watched as they gathered in one room and, and when the power was on, a 12-year-old girl would go up with an overhead projector and she would switch those pages. If you've ever viewed teachers, you remember the overhead projector. Flip those pages every time just so we can keep worship going. They didn't have projector screens. They didn't have the screens. They didn't have the projectors. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have any of this stuff. And then when it got to the preaching portion, in order to keep the kids entertained, they would take the kids to the back of the room, and then they literally had a bed sheet that they would slide across a PVC pipe to close them in the back, and then all the adults would move closer to the front, and that's how they gathered to hear the word preached. But I'm going to go and tell you what was beautiful about that moment was watching as all those adults huddled around their pastor to hear the proclamation of the word of God. And even though we could hear the noise from the back of the room and even though the power wasn't on, and yes, even though we were sweating to death, which, oh, by the way, they fully understood that it was okay just to wear shorts and a shirt in service, otherwise you may pass out and die, and that's not what they wanted. They left there filled with joy because they had heard the gospel proclaimed. And when they left that place, Sunday afternoon, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they left proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ because they realized the reason why they gathered was not about them. The reason why they gathered was not about their music. The reason why they gathered was not about their air condition or their lights or their buildings. The reason why they gathered was because of Jesus Christ and the goodness that comes from sitting under the word of God. And I got to tell you, I think we have lost sight of that. 
as a church. I think we have lost sight of that as an American church. You see, as we come back to our text here, John calls the believers to endure. He calls them to endure to the end. He says, no matter what happens, you endure. You face persecution, you endure. Things get hard, you endure. You have to have hard conversations, you endure. All of a sudden, the lights go off, you endure. If the power goes off, you endure. Do not get caught up in the deceptions. Do not get caught up in the false teachings of Antichrist who say, hey, come over to our place where the building is building bigger and the air is nicer. Rather, they, they gather for the purpose of hearing the word of God. And again, this is one of the reasons why I love being Baptist right now. I love our Baptist. Baptist faith and message, particularly the BFNM in 2000, when, uh, when it reads in Article 5 on, the God, on God's purpose of grace, it says this. It says, all true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but they shall persevere to the end. And so I have to ask us this morning, how are we doing when it comes to persevering? Are we walking away because we don't like something? Are we walking away because it's changed? Are we walking away because it got too hard and all of a sudden we're going to look for something else? The reality is we are never going to be satisfied wherever it is we go. Because we've made church about us. Now, when you come back to our text here in verses 22 and 23, we now see the root cause of the desertion of these antichrists, which is their denial of who Jesus is. You see, these people left the church because they left Jesus Christ. They rejected the biblical witness of Jesus, and therefore they now no longer see Jesus as important or preeminent. But notice what they were doing. These false teachers had left the faith. These false teachers had left worship, but they sought to remain in fellowship with the church. Think about that for a moment. They were no longer gathering as a body of believers with the body of believers, but they wanted to do all the other stuff apart from it. And so John notes that by remaining in fellowship, these people will continue to poison the body. And so John gives us the way to identify them and then calls us to boldly expose them even when it hurts to do so. Now again, I recognize that no one in this room likes being called out. I mean, really, show of hands, how many people enjoy being called out? Yeah, no one. I don't, and it happens on a regular basis. You may be in the room, and, and maybe, maybe you don't enjoy being called out, or maybe you do, but maybe you're the flip side of the coin. Maybe you're the person who likes being the one to call people out. Well, if that's you today, I want you to hear something Man, before you just jump into this, I want you to make sure you read some passages on grace and love because we shouldn't be just walking around looking to point the finger and calling folks out left and right. Rather, we need to handle this by the grace of God according to the word of God. And so let's not miss what John is saying here. We now have a biblical responsibility to maintain a standard that is set before us by God according to his word. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, in our attempt to love people as Jesus Christ loved them, are we willing to call them out when they walk away from the faith? Are we willing to call people out when they simply leave a church because they don't like it, or when they feel it's no longer worshipful, or it's no longer meaningful by their own standard? 
or better yet, in our own self-reflection, are we the ones who need to be called out because our bitterness is making us think about leaving and in our bitterness, we plan to take others with us. You see, John warns us that we need to be careful here with this warning because in our leaving, if it's not biblical, then we may be acting against Jesus Christ and therefore we may end up abandoning the church that God has called us to serve. This then leads to John's third and final lesson. He says the opponents of Christ will not only attack Jesus Christ, not only will they abandon the church, but now these opponents of Christ will assault Christians. We see this in verse 20 and 21, and again in verses 24 through 27. Now John here warns that the coming of these antichrists will bring discouragement. They're going to come and attack us because these antichrists are going to be intellectual giants with big personalities, and they're going to be considered great leaders who can make persuasive arguments. And so John opens this particular uh, section by saying that you have been anointed by the Holy One. And so John is emphatic here about who we are in Christ and how we have now received the Holy Spirit. And so John wants the believers to know that we have been set apart by God, for God, and thus we now have a teacher who will guide us both in knowledge and in capital T truth according to the word of God. And so John comes back to his favorite theme in 1 John. He he reminds us that if we abide in Christ or if we remain in him, then no lie will be able to seduce us or deceive us or lead us astray as long as we remain faithful to the word of God. Now, some of us in the room have struggled with verse 27, where it says, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. And there are people who are Christians who think that since we have the Spirit of God, we no longer need any human teachers. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the Bible clearly advocates for teaching. If you don't believe me, look at Matthew 28, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 4, and 2 Timothy chapter 2. You see, John, by saying these words, is not ruling out human teaching. Rather, he's writing to refute these antichrists who are now in the church teaching that Christians needed both the apostles' teaching along with some other supplemental teaching which they alone claim to possess. And so John teaches that not only is the apostles' teaching of Jesus Christ adequate because it's under the Spirit's leading, but it is also the only reliable truth. And so John noted that the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is what we now have in the Word of God, also what we call today the illumination, it does not involve revelation of some new truth that goes beyond the Word. Rather, all that we need for salvation, all that we need for spiritual growth, can and will be found in the Word of God, which has been given to us by God. And then we circle back to verses 24 and 26. And we see John come back to his favorite theme again, this word abiding. And so John here conveys this idea of union with God and communion with God. In fact, in verse 24, he challenges us to remain in the teaching of the word of God that was received at 
conversion. So John calls all of us to remain in Christ and remain in God through his word. Again, John is telling us that all we need is Christ and Christ alone. And it's in Christ that we now have the Father. And according to verse 25, we have the promise of eternal life, which is a promise that cannot be taken from us, nor will it ever be broken. You see, Antichrist will come to deceive us. They will come to make us think that we need something more, but as we clearly see in our text, John says they are liars, and all we need will be found in Christ and found in his word. I want to close this morning with a story of another great Christian in history. This is the story of Herman Bavink. Now, Herman Bavink was a Dutch theologian in the late 19th and early 20th century who regularly taught on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And in speaking on the centrality of Christ and the Christian gospel, he writes, Christ is Christianity itself. He stands not outside of it, but in its center. Without his name, without his person and his work, there is no Christianity left. In a word, Christ does not point out the way to salvation. He is the way itself. You see, Jesus Christ has to be central to all that we do, to all that we are. There is no Jesus plus theology out there. This is what the apostles taught. This is what the word of God says. It is what We believe, and this is where we are called to abide, in the person and work of Jesus Christ that is found in his word. So in a world thrown into confusion about the truth of God and the truth of his word, let us hold on to the hope that we now have in him, and let us prepare to teach faithfully, to love others boldly, and to live, and as we live in spiritual conflict, let us boldly face the battles to prepare for the fight, and then take the time as John teaches us today to know our opponent because at the end of the day it is God who will be glorified and at the end of the day it is God who will reign victorious let's pray together